Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. So we're looking through, we're reading through, we're preaching through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, last week we told you he was, he was a member of the secret service for a king who had uh, basically taken Nehemiah captive. And so he was, not, he was not close to home. Matter of fact, he was a captive serving in the bodyguard of a king 800 miles away from home. And his home, which was Jerusalem... He was, uh, he was part of the family of God. His home had been destroyed, a, a city that was once bustling with people. Nehemiah gets the report that it's now a ghost town and that the walls are torn down, the people are being raided, the people of God have been stolen from, the people of God are just living way beneath what the people of God should live. And Nehemiah has this reaction that I shared with you last week. Um, a word that some of you guys said you never heard that word before. But Nehemiah had a holy ought. Remember that word I said last week, a holy ought. He thought someone ought to do something. And God told him that someone ought to be you. That was basically chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, where we come to today, it's been six or eight months since Nehemiah first heard what was going on. He's been praying about it. What should I do? God, how do you want me to use? What do you want me to do? And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, he goes before the king. And in verse 2, the king says, Why does your face look so sad when you're not even sick? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. That's Nehemiah talking, right? He's very afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servants found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Father, I Thank you the next minute of time that you're going to use this word to speak to our hearts, to teach us how to rebuild the things in our lives that are broken, and how we can become an alignment so the things that are burned in our lives and destroyed can be restored by your spirit and by your power. So help me to speak the word of God as you want it spoken. Help us to respond to the word of God as you want us to. And we'll be careful to, to do that, to, to do what you say to do. In Christ, and we pray these things. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Nehemiah had a desire. He had this holy ought. Things ought not be a certain way. Have you ever had a moment where you thought about your own life or a situation in our world that we live in today where you thought certain things ought not be that way? Right? We've all had those. Maybe it's in your own family. You may think, Man, my marriage ought not be be this way. My kids ought not be dealing with this hardship. 
our church ought not be dealing with this difficulty. Our community ought not be living in the way it's living. Our nation ought not be going this direction. And it's not just the ought based out of our selfish desire, but it's what I called last week a holy ought. You have, Nehemiah had a holy ought. It's not that just Nehemiah was upset because the place where his family was from was destroyed. He had a holy ought. He knew that God had put something into him to not just hear what was wrong, but to be part of a solution. Now, believers, hear me this morning. Christians, hear me, all right? Family of God, hear me. When God allows you to see something that is wrong, it's not that you can say, boy, that is so bad, or that is too bad, or that is too sad. Many times, when God allows you to see something and hear something and it moves your heart to a moment of holy ought like Nehemiah had, he's including you so that he can include you on being the solution to that issue. I just think a lot of us would probably find ourselves enjoying the favor of the Lord and the will of God more often if when we see something that ought not be, if our first response should, would be, you know what, I ought to do something instead of someone ought to do something. Nehemiah did not say, boy, somebody ought to do that about. He began to pray. And God sent Nehemiah, who was living 800 miles away in the comfort of a palace with a pretty cushy job. He sent him 800 miles back home to restore and rebuild what had been broken and stolen by the enemy. And just as I say that, doesn't that story sound familiar? The Bible says in the book of John that Jesus left his throne in heaven and he came down to planet earth where you and I were broken, where you and I were being stolen from by the enemy, and he came to rebuild and restore. The Bible says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus says, I've showed up that you can have life and life to the full. Jesus came to do what Nehemiah is doing in the physical here. And you and I, I believe we're going to be kind of a hybrid. God's going to use us to build some things in the physical, but he's also going to use us to restore some things in the spiritual, the relational, in our lives today, in our world today. And so how can God use us? Today's message is simply entitled this, Get Off the Sidelines. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Get Off the Sidelines. Babe Ruth we don't know who Babe Ruth is, just don't tell me you don't know. Uh, Babe Ruth was giving credit to saying that the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. That those who have the least amount invested are usually the ones that complain and shout the loudest. Have you noticed that booing and complaining and shouting usually doesn't help the situation? No, pastor, I had no idea. I thought I was helping when I was booing. Now I understand. So I feel like I'm starting to meddle in someone's business. So should I move on a little bit? Man. 
So, so Nehemiah, I just bring up Babe Ruth's little quote there to tell you, Nehemiah is not satisfied to sit by in the comfort of his recliner 800 miles away and say someone ought to do something, but instead he says like the prophet Isaiah did, he said, Lord, here am I, send me, let me be a part of what you're doing, let me be a part of your kingdom which is in heaven coming to this place that I'm residing in here on earth. And God used Nehemiah. And by the way, God is on the edge of his seat ready to use you. If you would simply say, God, put me in the game. I'm tired of spending my life on the sidelines. I want you to use me. I would just say this to to you this morning. If you have never been used by God for the kingdom of God, you are missing out. I am not sure. I'm not sure if I should say this, but I'll say it anyway ask forgiveness later, I guess. I don't serve God because I'm such a selfless person. Because I've discovered that as I serve God, there is no high like being used by the Most High. Right? There's no better feeling than knowing that God is using you to bring His kingdom to our lives today. Some of you, you, if you would just dare to trust God with whatever area of your life that he's given you that holy ought. Man, you may, maybe some of you need to turn to your wife and say, you know, we, we ought to be trusting God with this part of our marriage. We ought to be trusting God. We ought, we ought to be faithful to the house of God. We ought to be faithful in giving the God to his tithe and above that with offering. We, we ought to serve like he's been speaking to our hearts to serve, but we're just so, we're so afraid that if we do this, it's going to cost us, it's going to hurt us, it's going to be draining, it's going to be emptying. But friends, can I tell you, it might be emptying, it might be draining, but the fullness that comes from serving God blows any cost out of the water. The Apostle Paul says, I don't consider that the sufferings of this life are worth comparing to the glory that we're going to receive from Him. All that's free. None of it was in your notes. If you're having a hard time keeping up, good. You're right on track. So what do we do? If, we, if we're going to get off the sidelines this morning like Nehemiah, if we're saying to God, God, put me in the game. I'm tired of just watching from the comfort, convenience of my recliner what you want to do. I really want to see change happen in my life. I want to see change happen in my family's life. I want to see change happen in my community's life for people that I love. If I want to see it happen, God, how can you use me? How do I get off the sidelines? Sounds like a great idea. How do I do it? Here's the first thing Nehemiah did was he prayed. Not a five-minute prayer. I told you earlier, I mean, I love it. There's been a moment in my life where I prayed something, and like 10 minutes later, God did it. And I thought, wow, that was awesome. And then I prayed again, and that 10-minute wait turned into a 10-year wait. I can't predict how long you may have to pray for God to use you, but here's what I'm telling you. God's using you the whole time you pray. And Nehemiah prayed not for, not for six weeks, not for six days, but perhaps for up to six months. He's waiting. He's praying. He knows he can't do it. He wants to get into the game. He wants to get off the sidelines. He wants God to fix what is wrong in his hometown. But he doesn't know how. He doesn't know why. He definitely knows that he can't do it in himself. 
And so he prays for the favor of God upon his life. Pastor, why is this so important? I mean, it's, I know that when you say you should pray about something, that just sounds like the knee-jerk reaction that if, you, if a Christian has a, has a problem, you pray about it. If you want to see something, then you pray about it. That seems like the, the scholastic answer. Why would you say that? Because here's the thing. If you try to do the work of God without the favor of God, you will understand frustration like you've never known before. The work of God without the favor of God equals frustration. And today, maybe you, your Christian life, you say, Pastor, I love God, I'm serving God, but all I have is frustration. It may be because you've been trying to do the will of God and the work of God in your own power, and friends, you're not strong enough to do that. Sometimes we think, well, what God's asked me to do is such a small thing. I mean, it's just serve in this little area, preach this little sermon, pray this little prayer, serve this little person. Can I tell you, there is no small deeds done in the kingdom of God. All of it welcomes heaven and expels hell. And so the enemy of your soul and my soul will fight against you. So you better have the help of God doing whatever it is you're doing for God. God doesn't call us to do anything without His power and without His provision. Nehemiah prays for God's favor. He, he wants to see Jerusalem rebuilt. He wants to see the gates restored. What he really wants to see is God's people stop being ripped off by the enemy. And can I just say something to you as your pastor out of love? I am tired of seeing God's people getting ripped off by the enemy. So we got to pray for God's favor upon our lives because nothing else will keep the enemy at bay like the work and the working of God. So many times when we hear that God wants to use us in something, we have one, or two, one of two wrong thoughts. The first wrong thought we have is this, and this is a thought that I've had the most of my life. Man, God's called me to do it. I got to do it. Give me a hammer. Throw me a nail. Man, let's get this wall built. If I can't do it, I call my friends. If we can't do it, we call our enemies. We call, we just, it's all on us. It'd be great if God would help us, but I can't really count on that. He told me to do it, so here I am. I ain't got time to pray. He told me to build a wall. And we just start building. And start building and start building. And friends, if you do that for very long at all, you will not just not fix the wall, you'll hit a wall. And then there's other people that are kind of the other vein of thought. Well, if God's called me to do it, then all I got to do is book a room at the Holiday Inn Express, hit the easy button and Office Max, and wait for God to do this. And we just wait. God, you said you were going to keep your promises. So I'm just going to sit here, no matter how long it takes for you to keep your promise. Just sitting, just waiting. God said he's going to do it, so here I am. I think I'll watch some Netflix while I wait. I'll go to Dairy Queen and Freddy's both while I wait. Because God said he was going to do this. But I can't tell you, that's not how God works. It's not all on you. And it's not all on God. It's all on you as you are depending completely on God. That's how it works. 
Someone once told me this mental picture years ago, I've never forgotten, that when you wait on God to do something, it's not that you're sitting here watching your clock. It's that you put a towel around your shoulder and a, and a serving dish in your hand, and you wait on God this way. You wait while you serve Him. You wait while you're faithful to Him. You wait while you do what you can for Him. And you say, Pastor, I don't know what I'm supposed to do today. Then you keep doing what God told you to do yesterday. That's how you wait on God. Nehemiah has been praying, and he's been planning. And by the way, those two things are not in opposition to each other. As a matter of fact, I think praying should give birth to planning, and planning should give birth to more praying, and praying should give birth to more planning, because when you pray, God shows you what's next. And when you see what's, what's next, you say, oh God, I can't do that. And so you pray some more, and then God begins to put in you what he's put in front of you so you can do what he's called you to do. Nehemiah spent weeks trying to pray that he could do and become and be what God wanted him to be. Number two, I, I took too long on that, and I apologize, but I'll probably do it again someday. But, but here's point number two. You got to take steps of faith despite your fear. Verse 2 really helped me a lot. Nehemiah goes before the king. He lets um, his face be sad. And he says in verse number 2, and he says, And I was very much afraid. Sometimes we think when we walk by faith that our fear runs out the door. And that's not how it happens. Our four-year-old had to get some shots this past week, had to get three of them. And so she came home, and I asked her, I said, Nora, were you brave today? And she said, well, Dad, I was brave for the first two, but the third one, I wasn't brave. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, I cried during the third one. I said, but you sit there and let them give you the shot? She said, yeah. I said, Nora, you were brave during all of it. Just because you're hurting and you're crying... If you're sitting there submitting to the process, that's still pretty brave. Sometimes we think that if, oh, if I was a person of faith, I wouldn't be scared. I'm not sure what book you're reading that in, but I'll just tell you, this says Holy Bible, and it says Nehemiah has the faith to do the, God's work, but the whole time he's doing it, he's scared to death. I don't know about you, but every step of faith I've ever taken, if you could have seen through my blue jeans, you see my knees Faith isn't about not having fear. It's about obeying God despite the fear. I'm convinced that steps of faith are usually done with trembling knees. I mean, really. This was a big risk. And and some of you are looking through Nehemiah right now, and, and you're kind of reading as I'm talking. You're thinking, what big step of faith did he take? I mean, all he did was look sad. How much faith does that take to look sad? I mean, some of you do it every day naturally. You just look sad. You know, you, but for Nehemiah, see, if you were in the presence of a king and you look sad, basically what you, were to, what you were declaring was, King, your presence isn't enough to make me joyful or grateful for what I have. To not, be, not to appear pleasant or satisfied was an insult to the king. So in, Nehemiah makes his face sad when he exposes... The heartbreak he's had for months, it can be seen as an insult to the king, but he does it anyway. He's filled with fear, but he takes steps of faith. 
When God gives you a holy ought, whatever that is, I ought to be serving, I ought to be giving, I ought to be living my life differently, I ought to be telling someone about the Lord, I ought to be sacrificing here, or I ought to be faithful to this, or I ought to be releasing that into God's hands, I ought to be forgiving that person, you know, the list can go on, I ought to be praying, I ought to be submitting to this. What gives, you know why people don't do what they ought to do? It's because of fear. It might cost me something, it might hurt, it, I might lose out. Someone might think something about me that I don't want them to think. But I would challenge you, take a, be like Nehemiah, take a step of faith despite your fear. I've discovered that whatever step of faith God is calling me to take today is usually more scarier than the step of faith He asked me to take yesterday. I mean, sometimes I just think, God, when is my next step of faith not going to be so ginormous? Just, why can't it be level ground instead of always stepping up? Because it's steps of faith. Number three, I've got to hurry. If you're going to engage your heart, if you're going to engage and get off the sidelines, you need to share with the right people what God's told you to do. I know some of our teenagers just came back from camp. If God did something at camp in your life, you need to tell somebody. God called you into ministry, tell somebody. God called, filled you with the Spirit, tell somebody. Well, adults, God's been speaking to your heart about doing something, tell somebody. Why? Because until you share it out of your mouth, you can deny it and it doesn't seem real. But the minute you speak it to the right people, now Joseph got in trouble by sharing his dream and his holy ought with the wrong people. But if you'll share it with the right people, people who can help you, people who will pray with you, people who encourage you, then all of a sudden what God's put in your heart becomes reality because you spoke it. Here's point number four is you've got to believe for God's supply. Nehemiah said, after he was sad, took that step of faith, after he shared with the king what was wrong, my homeland, my family is broken down, gates are broken down, they're being exploited by the enemy, they're stealing our territory, I don't have to live on leftovers, I know I'm 800 miles away, I know I'm your servant, but, but I think God wants to use me there instead of here, and, 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 and I, that's what I want to do. And after he did that, he was bold a little bit more, he said, and by the way, king, could you write me some letters to tell everyone 800 miles away to give me all the timber and all the supplies that I need. Nehemiah knew, I can't do what God's called me to do in my own provision, in my own supply. So he asked someone who can help him. What makes a pagan king write checks to the ministry of his people? I'll tell you what it does. It The Spirit of God. I've just been praying, God, why don't you just turn on the hearts of some pagan people around us and either A, save them, or B, just have them write checks to the, to the will of God anyway, right? But he, he shared his need with the right people. They encouraged him, and then God 
gave him the supplies he needed, but not just what he's needed, more than he could need. Nehemiah asked for, for building material. And the king said, yeah, I'll give you the building material, but I'm also going to send a, an army with you to protect you as you go until you get there. Isn't that how God works? He doesn't do what we ask. He does more than we ask. That's what Nehemiah discovered. And then fifth, Megan, if you want to come, he committed to the process. How do we get off the sidelines? You've got to commit to the process. Once, once Nehemiah spoke to the king, there was no turning back. I've been told that uh, I used to be real nervous about flying. And so I, I did a lot of studying trying to conquer my fear. And my studying didn't really help me very much because I discovered on the runway, on every runway, there's this invisible line on the runway. Brian's shaking his head like he knows what I'm talking about. It, it's called, Brian, is it called the point of no return? That once you're past that line, you're committed. You're either about to take off are not, right? You're either good to go at that point or it's, a, it's not going to work out too good. Nehemiah, he kind of crossed that, that line when he spoke to the king. He said, listen, I want to I, I go home. The walls are broken down. The people are suffering. My family's hurting. I want to build the wall. And I want you to pay for it. I know you don't believe in my God. I know that we're just, we're, we're slaves, we're captives. We're not, I'm just, I know I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed just to have a job in the castle. And I should mind my own business. But, but King, would you please equip me to do what I'm not even sure if you want it done. But would you equip me to do it anyway? And the King said yes. And now the rubber meets the road. And Nehemiah has to go the 800 miles to make a difference. For 800 miles, he had an opportunity to, to contemplate, is this the right, oh man, did I just leave where everything was made for me to take on a problem that maybe didn't have to be mine? But he was committed to the process because he knew God wanted to use him to rebuild broken walls. He knew God wanted to use him to restore what the enemy had spent stolen from them. But I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning because I want you to hear this with no distractions. God wants to use you. Not the person next to you. Not the person who's older than you or younger than you. God wants to use you where you see broken walls and shattered doorways. Where you see people being robbed from and stolen from. He wants to use you. If there's brokenness in your family, God can use you there. If there's brokenness in your marriage, God can use you there. If there's brokenness in your school, God can use you there. If there's brokenness in your own life, God can restore you there. If there's hurting in the church, God can use you there. If there's brokenness in the community, God can use you there. If there's issues in our nation, God can use you there. If there's strife in your workplace, God can use you there. It doesn't matter if it seems like it's outside the scope of your capability, if it seems like it's out of your expertise, if it seems like perhaps it really isn't any of your business, where you see brokenness as a place where God can bring restoral and He'll bring it there through you. The question is, are we willing to get off the sidelines and make a difference? When Nehemiah spoke up in that courtroom, he discovered something. 
that when he got off the sideline, the Spirit of God was already there waiting for him. The Spirit of God was already moving on a king's heart, a pagan king's heart, to write a check to take care of the ministry of God's people. When Nehemiah got off the sidelines, he discovered the Spirit of God had already softened the king's heart. That instead of banish him from his presence because of looking sad, the Spirit of God cultivated an interest to hear what was breaking Nehemiah's heart. I'm just saying this, when Nehemiah got off the sidelines, he discovered God had already been working around him in ways he could not imagine. And friends, what we don't often understand is God is working around you. God is working around you every day. You never work ahead of God. He always works ahead of you. And when you step off the sideline, what you understand is I'm stepping into an opportunity. I'm stepping into the will of God. I'm stepping into something that God has been preparing for me. He's been waiting for me to respond so that I can discover the help of God like never before. Two points of prayer this morning. Number one, if you're here this morning and you're not right with God, can I tell you the best thing that could happen this morning is you understand that God has a better life for you, that he wants a better life for you than you even want for yourself. And just as Nehemiah went back to restore some broken walls and, and, and broken interest points into where their life was being restored or being stolen from, Jesus Christ this morning wants to restore what is broken in you. And today he said, Pastor, I am away from God. I'm not following Jesus. But today I need him to restore me and rebuild my life. And starting today, I'm going to follow him and invite his work in my life. Would you just lift a little hand real quick? So that's me, Pastor. I'm making that decision today. Please pray for me. Amen. Who else today? Amen. Amen. If you lift your hand today, if you're watching online and you need to respond to salvation today, I use this scripture just about every week. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9 says, If we confess our sins, that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from everything that's not right. What that means is today, Jesus is willing to lead you the moment you surrender your life to him. And so I want to lead you in a surrendering prayer. If you lift your hand, would you just personalize this prayer? Saying a, repeating a prayer from a preacher never changed anything, but saying a prayer from your heart can change everything. So this is just a moment I want to lead you in. If you lift your hand this morning, Pray a prayer, something like this. Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful that you love me. I'm so thankful that you care for me. I'm so thankful that you left heaven and came to earth so that everything that was broken in my life could be restored and healed. And today, I confess, God, I'm, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need your help. I am broken and need healing. So today, Jesus, I confess that, God, I need you and that I'm going to follow you. And from this day forward, it's not about my will. It's about following what you want. And God, I ask you today to not just forgive my sins, but Lord, heal my brokenness. Lead me down a different path, a path that brings honor to you and your abundance to me. Not abundance in the way the world measures it, but a way that can't be measured by the world. It supersedes the world. It's a joy-filled heart, a peace-filled heart, and a life that's committed to Christ and on its way to heaven. And I pray that for every person lifted their hand today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for those who are making that decision today? We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Church, would you stand with me today? Second point of prayer is this. is God wants to use you. And he wants to use me 
in a way that is no less than he used Nehemiah. He has purpose for you. He has plans for you. He has resources for you. It's all for you. It's not about you, but it's for you. And so we just say, God, this week, lead me off the sidelines. Lead me to make a difference in someone's life. Whether it's in front of people, behind the scenes, doesn't matter. God, just use me. Whether it's in giving or living in front of someone, if it's in testifying to someone, telling what God's done, inviting someone to church, whatever it is, God, get me off the side. I just commit to get off the sidelines this week. I want to pray the prayer over you. If you'll just invite that, if you'll, you'll invite the Lord to move in your life that way. Father, we're no longer just sitting and waiting. Lord, we also no longer think all the pressure's on us alone. It's about what you can do in us and through us today. It's the work of people partnered, tethered with the work of God. So you moved in Nehemiah's life, moving our life. We just commit this week to get off the sidelines. God, when you give us those holy oughts, we're not just going to think, man, someone ought to do something. Someone ought to give that. Someone ought to say something. Someone ought to love that person. But instead, we're going to get off the sidelines and give ourselves, serve ourselves, make a difference ourselves, love ourselves. Uh, Lord, speak to someone, ourselves so that we can be used by you. God, I pray for a new boldness. Lord, as Nehemiah took steps of faith through trembling knees, God, help us also. Lord, not just serve you to the point of fear, but God, serve you through faith that goes beyond our fears. I pray that over this congregation today. God, I pray over every person this morning. God, I pray you'll bless them. I pray you'll keep them. I pray your face will shine upon them. Give them peace and joy, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Lord. Hey, if this is your first time here, I'll be on the front porch. I'd love to greet you and meet you and put a gift in your hands just to say thanks for worshiping with us. God bless you. We love you. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.